Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Come on, good morning. It's good to be in God's house this morning. Happy Memorial Day week end. Come on, let's give it up for all of the veterans. Any veterans in the house that serve or active military? I don't know. Thank you so much for your service. Your sacrifice, obviously, um, many people maybe have had family members give their life or, or sacrifice to a great extent. It's not obviously the only the soldiers, it's also their families. And so we just honor uh, that sacrifice. The Bible says there's no greater love than someone that lays their life down. And so uh, we just, we love to honor uh, veterans and honor our military and honor law enforcement, honor all the uh, different public service, uh, just, just uh public service agents in, in the world, and it's just it's huge to put honor where honors do, and so we're going to be a church that honors people. Uh, the culture doesn't always honor, but we, we honor as a church. Does that make sense? And so we honor up, down, and all around, and uh, it's very powerful. So again, thank you for your service. Uh, we're in a series called Boot Camp, and uh, so it might go along good with the Memorial Weekend, and uh, just being talking about just really being a, a, a soul, an army of God, soldiers for God, that um, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And uh, we, we as people, if we're followers of Christ, we should be fishers of people. And uh, we're not, we're not, this isn't a spectator sport. Um, we've been talking for a few weeks about just becoming who God's called us to be. Boot camp takes the civilian out of, of individuals and puts the soldier into them. Come on. And if you're in the army of God, you're in a battle, three of you. That's awesome. <laughs> Praise God. We got a lot of work to do as a church. Uh, and so uh, we, we're part of an army. You're part of an army. You might not think you're in a battle, but the Bible says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give you life and life more abundant. And so every day, if you've said yes to Jesus, every day of your life is a battle. You're either in one, coming out of one, or going into one. And so, so the reality, and, and beyond battling the enemy, the Bible says you have a battle going on in yourself. The flesh fights the spirit every day. And so you're constantly battling your flesh and those desires and those, those doubts and those fears and those things, and your spirit is, is in war with your flesh. And so we say no to the flesh, we crucify the flesh, we kill it in Jesus. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. It's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And this life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And so, and so that stuff, there's a battle in all of that. And so boot camp, uh, today I want to talk to you about getting back and taking some territory back in your life where maybe the enemy's stolen a little bit. Remember that old school song, I, I went to the enemy camp and took back what he stole from me? Come on, where are my old school Christians at? Uh, come on, can anybody help me out? I went to the enemy's camp and took back what he stole from me, what he stole from me. Yeah, there we go. That's all I'm going to give you today. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. Come on. The devil is under my feet. Y'all remember that? I know I butchered it. That's okay. So, um, but that, that there's, there's, there's some scriptures that give us permission to take back what the enemy stole as, as, as warriors. There's promises of God, 7,000 promises of God that apply right to you and your family, to your mind. And I don't know what the enemy's taken. Maybe he destroyed or, or stole a childhood. Maybe he took a, a marriage. Maybe he stole your peace or maybe he stole uh, patience. Maybe he stole your confidence. I want to give you some scriptures today and I want to look at the word of God to give you permission and authority to take back anything he stole from you. Jesus did not die for you to sit back. He died for you to take back. 
He wasn't brutally murdered for you to be safe. He was murdered for you to be a soldier and for you to actually say, you know what? I'm not going to allow this in my life or in my family or in my territory any longer. I'm not going to let trespassers because this is my promise. This is my territory from God. And I'm going to take some things back. Here's my question to you. If the enemy stolen something, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? A lot of times we're waiting on the Holy Spirit and God to do something. He already did something. He died on a cross to give us authority. I'm going to be in the book of Numbers, uh, Numbers chapter 13. I want to look at the story of where uh, 12 spies went into a promised land, a promise from God. God given them a promise, a great promise. God's given all of you amazing, great promises for your family, for your kids, for your mind, for your peace, for your business, for your, for your associates, for your relationships. He's given you promises, so many for your, for your, for your own heart, for your own peace. Um, and the enemy's battling that. And we see 12 spies go into a land that God's promised them. Uh, they've been in slavery, God's kids, for about 400-something years. They've come out of slavery. They go to Mount Sinai. They spend uh, at Mount Sinai, they spend about 300 to 380 days at Mount Sinai. A lot of people think they just were there quickly. No, Moses goes up and down the mountain two times, and then they're getting all of the things ready to build the tabernacle. And so by the time they get done with Mount Sinai, it's about 380 days. And then they march to Kadesh. Barnea for about 40 days that takes them. And then they go in to spy out the land that God says in Numbers chapter 13, go check out the land. And that's 40 days. So what we pick up, they've been out of slavery for about 400 years, um, three to, to 460 years, somewhere in there, 380 to 460 years uh, approximate. And so we pick up, God is trying to get them into a promise. He's trying to get them into a place where the enemy has taken territory that God has given them. And I, I would say God is trying to get you into a place and into a promise for you today. God is trying to get all of us into some promise that he's given us. And this is what it says in chapter 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Not I will give, not I might give, not I, I could give it to them. Like, I am giving it to you. This is yours. You don't have to earn it. I'm giving it to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. Then Moses sent them this, to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. That's what God told them to do. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first grapes that were ripe. Verse 27, I'm going to skip down. Then the Lord told them, told him, then they, excuse me, then they told Moses and said, here's the report. We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. It's good. The fruit is good. Here's the fruit. Nevertheless... But, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. We watch Fox News and CNN and, and, and all these reports. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in that land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, and what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell there by the sea, and the Chinese are along the banks of the Jordan. Just bring it to today. <laughs> then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession. Come on, I love Caleb's urgency. He's like, shh, come on, let's go at once. 
for we are well able to overcome all of it. For God is on our side. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. And they gave, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone is spies of the land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it, everybody, all of them we saw it, are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. And, and we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in theirs. You'll always be a reflection of how you see yourself. They saw themselves as small, and so they thought others saw them as small. When you see yourself as a victim, when you see yourself as not enough, when you see yourself a certain way, that's how others will begin to see you. They were a reflection of how they saw themselves because they had the wrong mirror. They looked in the wrong picture. 14, it says, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, if only we had died in the wilderness. Like, you ever been, like, oh, why has the Lord brought us up to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should be victims? And would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Like, they get mad at the positive people, like, so they said to one another, let us select the leader and return to Egypt. Like, it must be the leaders. It must be the boss. It must be. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. The Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are bread. They are our bread. Like, the battle is our bread. Like, we feed on battle. Like, we're boot camp soldiers. We're Christians. Like, like all this stuff is, it feeds us. The, the, the battle I'm going through right now in my family, the situation with my kids, the, the things that I'm going through right now actually are my bread because God's protection has departed from them but the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And I love this. And all the congregation said, stone them with stones. You ever wanted to kill the positive person in the group? <laughs> They're always just so positive. <laughs> Come on, early in the morning, anybody got that early morning happy person? Like, kill them. <laughs> all the congregation said, stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. My title for today is Get Off My Land. Get Off My Land. Look at a couple of people and say, Get Off My Land. Get Off My Land. Father, thank you so much that you've given us promises. 7,000 to be exact in the Bible that are promised to us. That Jesus, you didn't die for us to sit back and be safe. You died for us to possess the land that you've called us to possess. Lord, many times the greatest territory and battles to possess our own heart, to possess our own mind, to possess the things that are trying to possess us. Lord, and we just say today that you've given us every tool that we need to take territory. And we just declare to the enemy today, whatever he might be trespassing on, whatever he's trying to do, he has to get off our land. We thank you, Lord. We give you glory and honor in Jesus name. Amen. I was, uh, in my neighborhood a few years ago, I live over at the end of Cedar Bluff by Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church and back in a neighborhood way back in there. And uh, some of my neighbors go here um, with me, the Myers, and, uh, and they, they live there as well. And so um, in the front of the neighborhood, there's a little shopping center. If you know, you go up by Cedar Springs and there's an Exxon uh, gas station and there's a shopping center um, with a tool shop and a, uh, you know, Weight Watchers. I, you know, I don't go there because I don't, 
because uh, it's a joke with the points. They, they have built-in cheat days. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, man, I'm a Christian. I don't need to build in sin to my life every day. Uh, uh, um, so uh, they have all these different, um, different little uh, shops there. Well, my neighbor, his house, when he bought it, he lives uh, right on the backside of that shopping center. There's a little wooded area in between it, and he had a pool that he bought the house with, and it had a fence up. And he didn't know that when he bought the, the house, there's a lot of homeless encampments in, that were right there in the woods, right there, right behind that fence. And so when he bought the house, the homeless folks were actually bathing in his swimming pool. Like it, it, it just kept going on. And like, he's like, man, I love people, but it's just not too safe for my kids. I'm a little nervous. They're climbing the fence. They're bathing. They're changing clothes. There's naked homeless people in my, in my, in my, in my swimming pool. And so he had to call the police a few times and all, all that kind of stuff. And then finally it kind of settled down. And a few years later, um, he realized that they were actually putting another encampment. There was a couple of tents back there and he would go back outside the fence and his pool was in the backyard and he had a fence that went around the backyard and then actually say the fence like came to right here. And then his property line actually extended a little bit further beyond the fence into the woods, but there was no fence. The fence ended early, if that makes sense. And so, so there was these encampments on the other side of the fence and syringes and, and suitcases and all this stuff. And he was like, look, I'm kind of nervous. Like, I don't want to go back there and throw these guys out because I'm a little bit scared. And, you know, we want to retaliate or whatever. And so they're on drugs and different things. And, you know, it's kind of, it's not always that way, but you know what I'm saying? It was just a little bit of a scary situation. And so he called the police and there was no one there. It was just their encampment. And so he calls the police and he says, Hey, I need you to help me. Would you please pack all their stuff up and you guys do it. So there will be no ramifications on me and they won't come after me. Would you please clear this stuff out? What do I do? And they said, no, sir, we, we're not going to touch that stuff. Where is your property line? And they, well, my property line's right here. And they said, well, it looks like you need to to build another fence. It looks like you need to extend the boundary. And I, and I think that a lot of times we're waiting for someone to come clean off the enemy from our property and from our hearts and from our minds and from our homes and from our kids when, and we're waiting for some, some supernatural force to come. And, and God's saying, no, I think you need to actually build another boundary. I think you actually need to get bold enough and not worry about what the enemy's gonna do to you and get strong and go, you know what? I've got the word of God. I got the authority of scripture. I got Jesus' death. I got the Holy Spirit that came to earth. I don't need God to show up in person. I'm gonna get this off my property. I'm not gonna let any trespassers have the keys to my house. Come on. If somebody started using your swimming pool, you're gonna be like, nah, nah, nah. I know with home defense, uh, we're in East Tennessee. Come on, somebody. Anybody know what the best home defense weapon is? A 12 gauge shotgun. So it's proven. I got a couple handguns, but I also got a shotgun. And I bought this 12 gauge shotgun, uh, tactical. It holds a lot of bullets. And, and my wife's like, why do you need all these handguns, these handguns and the 12 gauge shotgun? I was like, oh, baby, this is, the, this is home defense right here. This is what you need. She's like, can't you just use a handgun? I was like, no, 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 because here's the thing. You take the shotgun, you hear somebody fiddling with the front door of your house, you take the shotgun and you walk up to the other side of that door on the inside of your house and you go, and the sound from the inside of the house lets anybody that's creeping around the outside of the house know that you don't want to come in this house. Can I tell you, as God's church, we have a sound inside the church. We have a praise. We have a voice. We have a worship. And the sound inside of my life and the worship inside of my heart. Devil, you don't want to mess with my family. Devil, you don't want to mess with my mind. Devil, you don't want to mess with my kids. We're called to take back some territory and own our land and 
get the promises God's called us to, but there's always going to be a battle and the enemy wants to intimidate and the enemy's trying to fiddle with our home. And I just want to say to you, like it's an authority issue and you have scripture and you have God and you've got the spirit and you need to practically tell the enemy, get off my land, get off my land. I mean, let's make it practical in today. Here's the promise. Anger, get off my land. Offense, get off my land. Fear, get off my land. Worry, get off my land. Depression, get off my land. Anxiety, get off my land. Loneliness, get off my land. Divorce, get off my land. Past mistakes, get off my land. Addiction, get off my land. Bitterness, get off my land. Cancer, get off my land. Every enemy of God, get off my land. Get off my land. I'm going to see God come onto my territory and I'm going to see the enemy flee from my territory. That's what's happening in this story. Every promise they've been given, but they are a little intimidated by all of the enemies in their land. God already gave them the land. I'm giving you the land. They go into the land and they see all these enemies. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the power of perspective. These spies go in. There's 12 men of God, 12 spies that go in. Moses says, you can have the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. God's trying to get them into the land, but God needs them to see the right thing. And when they go in, they actually get a picture of the land. It's good. God says it's flowing with milk and honey. But they go in and they see the wrong thing. They go in and Moses, the leader, was to blame for this. And I've been checking my own heart these last few days, preparing for this message and just asking God to work in me. But the leader was to blame. The Moses, God said, Moses, go tell them to spy out the land and see that it's a good land. And then Moses says, hey, go spy out the land and tell me if there's giants. Tell me if the cities are high or the walls are low. Tell me if they're fortified. Tell me what the trees are like. God didn't tell him to look at the giants. God didn't tell him to look at the walls. God didn't tell him to have them spy out how big the cities were. God didn't tell him to do any of that. He said, go look at the promise. Go look at the goodness of the land. Here's the thing. God's got so many promises for us, but we go into the situation and we look at all the peripherals and all the negatives and all the giants and all the problems so often. 12 men went in. They all saw the same thing. Two said we are able. 10 said we can't do it. 10 saw the wrong thing. Two saw the God thing. And I just want to encourage you with whatever battle you're facing or whatever you're trying to get back, you need to begin to go into your marriage, go into your home, go into the situation with your children, go into that place of work, go into those relationships and go, okay, God, what are you promising me? What's the promise? What's the scripture? For every attack, find a promise that nullifies it. Write that thing down. Get it in writing. Begin to get it into your heart and do battle with it. If you study this stuff out, these guys see the same thing. Only two said we can go and take the land. The land is good. I want to see the God thing. I want you to see the God thing. I want to see the God thing. Ten people saw the problems. Two people saw the promises. What do you see when you look at that, that situation? How do, you, how, do you, how do you speak about it? Write this down. The promises of God outweigh the problems of man. No matter what we're facing, no matter what you're going through, the promises of God to you outweigh any battle or any problem that you could ever face. There's going to be giants. There's going to be battles. There's going to be negative news reports. There's going to be hard times that we have to walk through, but we're called to move the boundary line. We're called to use scripture and use, use God's authority to say, you know what, Satan, you can't stay here. It's been proven that 90% of all of our knowledge comes through our eyes. So, so, so spiritual vision 
And what you see, it's not what you see, but how you see it. And spiritual vision is so important to get the promises God has for me and you, our church, your family. Like to see it right. Like the vision that you have, 90, the, the sense of vision, 80 to 90% of all of your knowledge comes from that. And, and, and they've proven that God obviously has given us two sides of the brain, the left and right side. The left side is responsible for reason and logic and, and learning and memorization. The right side is creativity and it's visual and orientation. It is creative. It's responsible for how we actually see things. And, and, and we've never really developed the creative visionary side. We always develop the logic and reason side. But the side of, of, of creativity, the right side is where you actually begin to see things and visualize things to receive what God has for you. I just want you to begin to see it different. I want to see it different in this day and age in my life. Perspective is what leads to success. Here, here's my question. They, 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 if you have a big God, you have small problems. If you have a small God, you have big problems. And so the question is, how, how, how big is your vision of God today? That's what I need to ask myself when I face a situation. How big is my vision of God? I want to see right, and if I see it right, then I can have it. If I can't see it right, I can't have it. These men actually couldn't walk in, and they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because 10 men saw it wrong. That's, a, that's, pretty, that's pretty big consequences on seeing it wrong, on having the wrong perspective. And so I'm going to give you four things the enemy does to try to get us to see it wrong and uh, what he did to them, several passages of scripture. And these are progressive. They kind of lead to one another. Satan uses these four things to keep you out of your promise. The first thing he uses is fear. The very first thing, and we, I believe the church of all people who should not be infected with fear have been infected with fear. That we are not a people of fear. The Bible says we do not shrink back. We are not wicked. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion, the Bible says. Like we, we should not allow fear into our life in any capacity. Fear is not from God. Worry is not from God. We don't preach this enough. Worry is sin. It's like, wow, we, we deal with all these other big sins. Like the Bible says, don't worry. Like, like so that fear, the enemy uses fear. Numbers 13, 28, it says, nevertheless. So they said the, prop, the, the, the land is good. Milk and honey, it's yours. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Like, like fear begins to strike in their heart. It's a good land. Here's what they basically they're saying. It's a good land, God, but. God, I know you said I could have peace, but you don't understand this spouse you've given me. <laughs> God. God, I know you said I could have patience, but these kids, God. God, I, said, I know you said I could live holy, but I keep clicking on that. God, I, I know you said I could live free from addiction, but I keep going back to that. God, I know you said I could tithe and the windows of heaven would open and I'd be blessed financially, but you don't understand my bills. I think God's tired of our butt. I know God gets tired of my butts. I got many of them. <laughs> I, I just think so, somehow fear, the enemy uses fear to get us to actually, you know, go, okay, I'm scared. Here's where fear comes from. Fear comes from the wrong focus. When you begin to look at the wrong thing, God had already proven himself to the, to the Israelites. He'd already parted the sea, parted the waters, brought them out of slavery, done plagues. I mean, he did supernatural stuff, gave them all the gold, silver of Egypt, gave them riches and, and, and done all this. And somehow they get to this place and they're like, I'm afraid. Like how many times has God done stuff for us and brought us to this moment and then we look at something and we look at the news or a situation and we just allow ourselves to get sucked into fear. I want you to put your eyes on God like never before. 
That's where faith comes from, the right focus. Get your focus right, and you'll get your faith right. And I think in this day and age, we got to put our, God, our eyes on God. So fear leads to the second thing. Fear leads to exaggeration. They begin to exaggerate. Anybody ever exaggerated? My kids make fun of me. They say I'm the biggest exaggerator. When any, anything is happening, I, I, I begin to exaggerate. Fear leads to exaggeration. Look at this, verse 31. But the men who had gone up with them said, we are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report in the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone is spies, the land that devours its inhabitants. It eats people alive. Didn't they just come out? Uh... And the people whom we saw are men of great stature. Like, everybody's huge. Like, really? Everybody? So, so, like, with each report that they account, each fact that they account without God, it gets worse and worse and worse. They begin to exaggerate it. It gets bigger. Fear leads to exaggeration. Years ago, uh, my wife went on a trip in the Bahamas. And uh, we chartered this little, we didn't charter the boat. We paid for a little boat ride. And uh, some of you heard the story, but um, that we paid for a boat ride. We had a little captain. He was taking us out into the, into the waters to, to see some, I don't know, whatever. We were going to see the pigs or something. I don't know, swim with the pigs in the Bahamas. It's weird. I don't know why we did it, but we were doing it. And so we're, we're going out and, uh, and, and it's like, it's beautiful, right? When there's all people, people from all over the country, people from New York and different places and from, from, from Knoxville and from just all over. There's about 20 of us, about 15 of us on the boat and the captain, he's got his little second mate. And I can tell he's being a little reckless. He's trying to show off for a couple of girls. I mean, this dude's flying. I'm like, man, we need to slow down a little bit. And, and sure enough, they had packed up lunch and we had a cooler of LaCroix and water and beer and snacks and all this stuff in these coolers. And, and, uh, and there's these two girls from New York. They are bougie. I mean... <laughs> They got, they got Chanel glasses, Chanel bathing suit, Chanel towels, Chanel suntan lotion. Everything's, everything is like just, you know, everything is Gucci and Chanel. And they're talking like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. The whole time. The driver somehow in his showing off runs ashore in, in, in shallow water that's about three feet deep. And we're going about 40 miles an hour. Praise God. Luckily, no, nobody got injured. No one flew out of the boat. But we hit the shore and this thing ran, and we're like, ah. and I knew it was getting a little, a little shallow. And, and Sandra and I are like, oh, my God. And it was we're like, oh, my God. No, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. All the, all the guys, we're in three feet of water. We're stranded. Like you can, you can look up and you can see uh, the, where we launched off from the shore about a half a mile away. And um, we're, it's about 30 minutes in. The guys get out. We're trying to pull the thing off the, off the sandbar and we're stuck and we can't get off. And finally, like somebody just kind of laughs. We're just like, this is crazy. And the, little, the two girls just, by this time, it's been 30 minutes. They're freaking out like, oh my God. I mean, crying, screaming. Somebody laughs. Somebody, some person laughed, and they were like, this is not funny. We are going to die. <laughs> I was like, young lady, uh, we have a cooler full of LaCroix and beer and water. We got snacks. We're in three feet of water in the Bahamas, and we can see the shore. I think we're going to be all right. <laughs> Here's what you need to know. It's not as bad as you think. It's not, the devil wants to, to exaggerate every situation. And it's not as bad as you think. God didn't bring you this far for you to die or to leave you or to forsake you or to not give you the promise or the dream or the things in your, that's in your heart. Like, you, God is with you. You're not going to die. Like, God's got you. Don't let the enemy exaggerate. They exaggerate. They're much stronger than we are. They hadn't even fought yet. The, they, they, the land devours those living in it. They just came out. They just made it out. All the people we saw are great size. Not everybody. 
We are just insects compared to them. Even they see us like that. They were spying. They didn't see them. I mean, we got, it's like you just, enemy wants you and I to be fearful so that we begin to exaggerate. And here's where he gets us. Exaggeration leads to distortion. This is where he wants to get you and maybe has some of you. We are grasshoppers in our own eyes and in theirs too. So once we begin to exaggerate, the enemy's able to distort how we see ourselves. And I'm just a victim. I'll never be free. I always have anxiety. I always have, no one likes me. Like, I, I'm always alone. Like, no one would, if everybody, if anyone knew my real story, if I actually said what I was thinking, no one would like me. No, 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 no. The enemy wants to say those things to you to distort who you are. He uses those fun size mirrors in the fun house, the mirrors that shrink you down and make the enemy bigger. He wants to shrink God down in those little mirrors. He wants to shrink you down in those mirrors and make all your giants look huge. And, and here's the thing. You've got to get into the right mirror so you can get the right reflection. And the right mirror is the word of God. You got to get it in you. He's going to distort. The enemy's going to distort. He has a distortion for every season of your life. Distortion for your marriage, distortion for your business, distortion for your kids. He's got a distortion. You begin to exaggerate, things get distorted. You have to look in the word of God and go, you know what? I know that's who you say I am, enemy, but no, I'm a child of God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not going to distort my image. You're not going to make me feel small. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm made in God's image. I am destined to be conformed to the image of Christ. I know I messed up yesterday, but I'm being conformed today. I, I know I, I'm, I'm fighting the fight of, good, of faith. I'm not quitting. I am more than a conqueror. No weapon formed against me prospers. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I have every spiritual blessing. Uh, he became poor so I could become rich. I, I, you have to get this in you to get the reflection of God. Or you're going to walk out of here and, oh, I'm just a sinner. No, the Bible says you're a saint. Amen. What's a saint? It means holy one, hagios. You're a holy one. You're a soldier. You're empowered. You have every weapon that you need. Man, the righteous are as bold as a lion. I just, I don't mean prideful. You don't walk out like, ha, ah, I have arrived. You know, that's not. I don't mean that. I mean, you walk it with your in confidence as one of God's kids that you walk into a room and you have favor and blessing. Years ago, I was, I was preaching at a church and uh, the pastor was a friend of mine and it was late. We were hanging out at a hotel after and uh, somebody said something about my preaching. This young kid, like he was like 18, he said, gave me a compliment. And I told the pastor that night, I was like, hey, you know what John said about my preaching? And he ignored me. I was fishing for, I was fishing for compliments. Come on, we're all, right? I was fishing. I'm like, hey, he ignored me. I said it a second time. I was like, hey. I didn't realize he ignored me until he ignored me twice. <laughs> and then the second time he said, hey, quit seeing yourself so small. A lot, a lot of times when we see ourselves small, we need affirmation and we need, we need others, others' voice into our life and we need all, all these other, other things to, to, to say who we are. When we begin to see who we are and who we're called to be, he looked at me and said, dude, you're this and this and this and this. It started, and, and I just, this thing started coming into me and, 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 and smallness started leaving me. And, and I just want to encourage you. Like, I want smallness to leave you today. I want the distortion the enemy's put onto your life to leave you today. I wrote it this way. God didn't make no junk. You ain't junk. You are the blessing of God. And here's the last one. 
distortion, and this is ultimately where the enemy wants to get you and I, distortion leads to complaining. It's like, why is that such a big deal? Can, can I tell you that they lost the vision in the place they complained? That you and I, in the place we complain, we become forgiven wanderers. They were forgiven, but they didn't get the promise. And they wandered for another 40 years. And the place I complain, and this is what I've been talking to the Lord about for my own heart. When we begin to complain, here's what they do. They actually begin to complain. God had done so much. It says, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Come on, we need a new leader. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should be victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? I'm talking about going back to slavery. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. This is the biggest pity party on the planet. Like, well, we just done any good. We're going to grasshoppers and you're going to promise to God these leaders of Moses and Aaron, we should have died. Pity party leads to complaining about others. It's Moses and Aaron. Somebody's got to be blamed. When we begin to get distorted, and then we begin to complain, and we begin to blame others around us and blame people, and it's the wrong leaders, it's the wrong boss, it's the wrong this. Here's the big deal. Complaining makes you forget about all God's done and actually makes you want to go backwards. Somehow in their complaining, they remembered slavery as safe. And what the enemy wants to do is to get you and I complaining in our current condition so that we actually think the slavery of our sin from yesterday was safe for us to go back to. Like I remember when I used to just go to the club. I remember when I used to just do what I want and get plastered. I remember when I used to be able to hook up with whoever I wanted. I wasn't lonely. Yeah, you were. You were dying on the inside. I remember when I used to be able to just give everybody a piece of my mind and say what I wanted. I remember, God, it was better when I, I just want to go back. Can I tell you, there's no going back. And the enemy wants to use complaining to get you to become a slave to your past sin so you forfeit fighting for your future. And that's why it's so important that we don't allow the enemy to drive us into these things from fear to exaggeration to distortion to complaining. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can take the land. Here's what you need to know. You can be a slave to your past or you can fight for your future, but you can't do both. It's a word for somebody. You, you can be a slave to what happened. Some of you, the enemy stole so much and that became your identity in that moment. That nickname they gave you that you didn't like, but you just let them keep saying it because that's what they did and you just fit it. And, and you've let that come into your life and it's begin to be an identity. The enemy has stole some things. You can be a slave to that or you can actually begin to fight for your future. So you know what, I'm gonna battle. I've got God on my side and I'm just telling you, God's got a good future for you and we're gonna fight forward. But, but hear me, you gotta see whatever battle you're fighting right. And I'm gonna give you three thoughts real quick, very simple, because I don't want to wander. I don't want you wandering. I don't want you to lose your vision for what God has. I know each of you, I pray, is believing for a promise from God and the enemy has to get off your land and we've gotta get bold enough to throw him off. Here's what the two guys did, Joshua and Caleb. Number one, they received God's promise. So simple. They received it. God said, I'm giving you the land. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't clean yourself up enough. You've never, I've never broken a stronghold through my own effort. They received God's promise. God has a promise for you. He brought you to this moment in your life on purpose. 
He's not abandoning you. It was his idea to give them Canaan. Where you are, the dream in your heart, the promise, the thing you're believing for, your family, all, your, all, it's God's idea. He brought you here. And would you receive? Like, I think sometimes, some of you in this room feel like you're not worthy to receive it. You didn't do enough to earn it. And so, so like, you, you'll have a hard time going home and, and receiving the goodness of your marriage because of how bad it was last year or last week or what you said. You don't deserve reconciliation. Jesus paid for it. Jesus paid for peace. Jesus paid for patience. Jesus paid for it. And so I just want to encourage you. They received the promises of God. God's given it to you. Number two, they relied on God's power. This is what they said. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So there's giants, there's battles, there's things you're gonna leave here and face, but you have to rely on God's power, not your power. I work out, I got a workout partner right there, Jordan. He and I work out together. And uh, he's stronger than I am. When I first started, I was a vegan. I've gone, I eat meat now, praise God, because I lift weights. And, 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 and he makes fun of me every week because I'm lifting like good weight now. And he's like, dude, remember when you started with 10 pounds on the bar? I'm like, shut up. It was never that bad. But the other day I had like 205 pounds on the bar and I was getting reps at like eight or whatever. And then, and then the next week, come on, I'm bragging right now. And then the next week, the next, I know some of y'all are stronger. That's okay. I'm, I'm better than I was. Come on. That's my goal. And so the next week, uh, he puts 225 pounds on the bar, two, two pounds on each side. I was like, dude, I can't do that. I was like, I can't do that. He's like, dude, he goes, well, if I remember you had 205 last week, this is just 20 pounds more. I'm like, that's a lot of weight. That's a lot more. I was like, I'm 48 years old. I'm going to snap, I'm going to snap a pectoral muscle. <laughs> you know, you're glad you're not my workout partner. Like, he's like, come on, dude. He's like, you can do it. I was like, man, he's like, just give me five. Okay. I was like, all right. So I get under it and I get, and I start and I get five of them. And then, and, and then I struggle. He goes, give me two more. And the, and six and seven, he takes his hands and he spots me. I said, don't let me snap a muscle. Don't let me break my face. He's like, I got you. And the last two, he helps get to the top. He partnered with me. When I'm telling you to rely on God's strength, that's a partnership with God. That's not you sitting at home and just sitting back going, okay, God, just pick the weight up. Okay, God, just, just do this for me. No, no, no. It's God putting you under the bar. you fighting, you struggling, you getting stronger, you going after the battle, you pushing, and then God's strength comes in and goes boop and gets you through the finish line. That's relying on God's strength. So often we're waiting on God to do all the heavy lifting, but we got to grow and you got to fight. Would you just rely on God's strength? And the last one, they recognize God's protection. God is with you. They say God has left them and he is with us. They had the enemy had nothing, had had everything but God. You and I, the spies, they had nothing but God. It's a good place to be when you're begging for a promise, when you're believing for the enemy to get off your territory, to have nothing but God. God, I don't have anything but you, but I need your help to get this off my property, off my family, and off my children. There's a guy, I'm going to pray with you, I'm going to close. There was a guy named Charles Dutton. He was, uh, this is not Yellowstone. <laughs> it's a real guy. He was a Broadway actor, famous Broadway actor, and he went to jail for manslaughter for several years. Long stint, I don't know, 10 years. And uh, when he got out, they interviewed him. They said, how did you avoid the trauma and the tragedy and the scars of what most people go through when they're in jail for that long? And this was his answer. He said, unlike the other prisoners, I never decorated my cell. 
And God told me to tell some of you that the prison is not permanent. And some of you have been allowing the distortion of the enemy to decorate your mind. You've been putting up that picture of what the enemy said. You've been putting up that fear. You've been decorating something that is not permanent, a situation, a prison, a moment, whatever happened, whatever the enemy did, you've been decorating your life with that. You were never meant for the prison. You were designed for the palace. You're, a God, you're God's kid. God doesn't make prisoners. He sets them free. And I just want to be a man of God and a, a leader, and I want us to be a house of God that decides when I'm not going to take something that is not meant to be permanent and decorate it in my life. I'm not going to allow the enemy's distortion to stay. you got to get off my land. I want to pray for you today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you that we have authority and power that we have promises and that no devil in hell, no enemy can stay on our land. I pray for anyone in this room or under the sound of my voice online, if there's an enemy that's been on their land, maybe it's fear, maybe it's distortion, maybe it's exaggeration, maybe it's complaining. Lord, they didn't realize that they got to a place of complaining because of all the other things that preceded that. Lord, maybe we're in that place and feel like we're not able. I pray today that the enemy would get off family's land. I pray we could have boldness and authority through Scripture. I'm not going to embarrass you, no one looking around in this room, but if you say, you know what, Pastor, I, I, I find the enemy on my land in one of those ways. I've got some things distorted. I've decorated some things and let them be my identity, or I've been in fear for a situation, or, got, or I've exaggerated a situation and thought there was no hope. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you just be bold enough to slip your hand up to me? That's me. Pray for me today. Come on across the house. If you're online, just type that in like, like, pray for me. We want to pray for you. Father, you know every heart. You know every battle. You know every area and territory the enemies tried to set up camp. Lord, we just say that we take back anything the enemy set up camp in. We will not allow him to trespass any longer. We take back and we say, depression, get off our land. Anxiety, fear, abuse, any, anything the enemy's saying, any distortion, get off our land. We're kids of God. We're the house of God. We're the family of God. Or no matter what the news is saying, no matter what the economy does, no matter what the governments do, your word says that you are the desire of all nations, Jesus, that one day all nations will desire you and look to you. Lord, I thank you that your glory covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. And when we're fearful and worried about the world, your glory is going to cover it one day, oh God. Lord, I pray that we could see the way you see. Lord, it's not what we see, but how we see it. I pray for individuals to leave here today and see their marriages different. See their spouses different. See their homes different. See the blessings you've put in their life is different. See their kids is different. The job you've afforded is different. Seeing things different today, God. If you're in this room just for another second, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you know that You've been leading your own life and the enemy's done a lot of things, maybe distorted some things, maybe exaggerated some things. Maybe, maybe he hasn't. Maybe you feel like you've just had it all under control and you've done it all in your own strength. But you know in your conscience that you need to be forgiven, that you haven't walked with God. Or maybe you need to come back to God today. You know you're not walking with him. The Bible says if you would just give your life to Jesus, just surrender. Not fix yourself, make yourself holy, none of that. Just surrender to Jesus being your Lord, your leader. You get a fresh start in God. It's as simple as that. The Bible says, if you would believe that Jesus came to this planet, lived a sinless life, went to a tree, died a sinner's death, took our punishment, was beaten brutally, murdered, took all of my sin, shame, guilt, all my mistakes, took it all, nailed it to a tree on my behalf, and then rose from the dead to give me a brand new life and a brand new start with God. 
If you just simply believe that, you get a fresh start in God. No one looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to stand you up, but I'm going to pray for you here in a second. Maybe you're watching online and you need a fresh start with God. Or maybe you're in this room and you say, you know what? I need a fresh start with God. Would you put your hand up boldly to me and let me pray for you? I need a fresh start today. I need a fresh start. Just type it in online right there. I need a fresh start. Put it up high so I can pray for you. If that's you, I need a fresh start with God today. I'm giving my life back to him. Awesome. Thank you for your boldness. Awesome, man. Come on, God sees your heart. God sees your hand right now. You're made in his image. He died for you. It's personal. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. There's no magic in the prayer. It's just words of surrender. If you put your hand up, pray with me. Let's all just pray this in our own words. If you're watching online, you can pray this right there where you are. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe you defeated the devil and all of his forces. I believe you took my sin and my shame and my guilt. You took all of that. You nailed it to a tree and you paid the price I couldn't pay. I repent from that old life and turn to you. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a brand new heart and a brand new life. Fill me with your spirit today and I'll follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' matchless name. Come on, let's give God praise in this place. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.